You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Have you ever run out of gas while driving your car? I have never run out of gas. How many of you have run out of gas before driving your car? Brother James. It's all the men. I see, see, this is backing up my message tonight. I have never run out of gas before while driving my car. I have come very close, uh, but I have never run out of gas on the road. And uh, see, Brother Darren, I'm surprised at you because you're, you're a Yankee like me and we're taught you never get it under a quarter of a tank, especially in the winter. Because let's say you're under a quarter of a tank, that's usually fine. But what if you get stuck? What if you get stuck in a snowdrift and then you run out of gas and uh, you're, then you're in uh, real big trouble there? Uh, now, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't undo it. You can't undo it. I didn't say where you ran out of gas. You ran out of gas while driving your car. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to justify it. Just get right with the Lord. And... That's why we have an invitation. See all these excuses. See, church, we are never, never going to see revival if we just give excuses for our sin. Now, as far as I know, Miss Tracy has never run out of gas while driving before either. Um, but both of us have a tendency to push it, uh, really push it to the edge. And uh, we'll say things like, we're okay. We've got at least 50 miles when the gas light comes on, you know? There are two types of people. When it gets right about E, the one type of person is, I better fill up. The other type of person says, I know my car, right? <laughs> right? And we're the kind of, I, I know my car. She's told me before, I've driven this car on E for hours before. And then uh, sometimes at night she'll come home and I'll go out next thing early in the morning and I'm running behind and I'll notice it's, it's under E. And so I'll tell her, you know, why didn't you fill up? Did you want me to stop late at night at a gas station? What if something were to happen to me? You would never forgive yourself. I'm like, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, so we, I mean, we push it. We push it to the edge. But eventually, and many times, I mean, right before we run out, uh, we will fill up and s- so that we can keep on moving. Now, you don't have to be very smart to realize that that is a bad way to drive teenagers. And uh, further than that, it's a foolish way to drive because there is a very easy solution to running out of gas. Just fill up more often, right? There's gas stations everywhere. Just fill up more often. Don't push it until it's almost too late because one day you're going to push it too far. Right, Brother Darren? You're going to push it too far and uh, you know, you're going to be found stranded on the side of the road. So the reason I bring this up is I see a lot of similarities between needing gas in a car and needing revival as a Christian. And I just want to speak for a little while tonight on the subject of revival prayer. And this is something that I'm wanting to do more on Wednesday nights. I want to do a a deeper study. Uh, I know who's here on Wednesdays. And uh, Sunday, again, we'll try to make it as simple as possible, Sunday morning and Sunday night in our Through the Bible series. But Wednesday night, I want to go a little bit deeper. And uh, I want to do things that, uh, I want to talk about things that, uh, is required of disciples. 
um, that is going to call for some discipline in your life, that is going to call for that next step of faith. Uh, so tonight I want to speak on the subject of revival prayer. And I think far too often we go as far as we can as Christians. Uh, we push ourselves along the road of life or we're happy to kind of run on the fumes of Christianity, if you will, and until and, and we wait too long to see our need of revival. That's what I'm saying. It, it's too late to see your need to fill up when you're on E, right? And you're running behind work, uh, for work on that day. It's too late to see your need for revival when you push it to the last minute. We should be opening our eyes before then. Why are we satisfied? Why are we satisfied to live our Christian life running on E when we could have a full tank? That's my question. Why are we satisfied with living on fumes rather than drinking at the fountain that never runs dry? Because those are the choices that we have. You can run on fumes in your Christian life. And you would make it for, for the most part. Now, it's going to be incredibly complicated. It's going to be horribly frustrating. And one day again, you will push it too far. And you're going to be in trouble. We need revival. No gas in the car, no go. No revival in the soul of a Christian, no good, is how we'll put it. Why are we satisfied with living a, a coasting Christian life rather than, rather than looking for revival when many times revival can be as close as a prayer away? One revival prayer away can bring revival down. Now, maybe it's not that close. Maybe it's, maybe it's not as close as one prayer away. But here's something that we definitely need to understand that I'm going to bring out from this. Revival has never come, and revival will never come without prayer. It has to come through prayer. Prayer is always the antecedent to revival. You cannot have one without the other. Before the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church, the Bible says they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. When you read the history, the history books about the great revivals, you will see that they started with prayer. When asked why revival doesn't come to a church, a British preacher, and I don't mind giving you his name, I don't know everything about him, but I've heard some incredible uh, excerpts of his messages, and I'll need to look more into him, but his name was Leonard Ravenhill. And um, when asked why revival doesn't come to a church, he said this, the crying sin of the church is her laziness after God. Praying people are not lazy. Prayer demands discipline. Prayer recognizes unfinished business with God and for God. He continued, prayer is a battle for full-grown men, fully armed and fully awake to the possibilities of grace. He ended, my spirit is sore, my heart sick at the slothfulness with which we tarry in prayer. My head hangs low that unbelievers will give more for their dying cause than Christians will give for the living Christ, end quote. Prayer is what brings revival. Revival tarries when Christians tarry in prayer. And many times Christians tarry in prayer because the prayer that brings revival, revival prayer, is not for people who want a bottle from Christ. It's for people who want to battle for Christ. And we can live this life as newborn babes, always just having to be given the milk of the word and never being able to have the strong meat. But I don't want to live that type of life. 
I want to get to heaven someday and be told, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not, not thou wicked and slothful servant. I'm working on a message right now of how to make it to heaven barely. The Bible talks about people getting to heaven yet so as by fire because they have nothing to show the Lord in that day because they've never grown. Grace brings salvation, but also the grace that bringeth salvation uh, that hath appeared to all men teaches us, teaches us that in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. This is a Wednesday night crowd. We need to grow. I'm not talking about numerically. We need to grow spiritually. We need, there, there are things in our life where we need, to, we need to grow. We need to do better. And one of these areas is revival prayer. So would you notice four aspects of a revival prayer that we can learn from, from Psalm 85.6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Do you notice, first of all, revival prayer must be personal. I see a lot of you taking notes, so I'll, I'll take my time. Revival prayer must be personal. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Did you know that there is no such thing as darkness? There is only the absence of light. Just like there's no such thing as cold, there's only the absence of heat. That's why there's something called absolute zero. You can't get past a certain amount of cold. But you can take away a certain amount of heat. Theoretically, you can get as hot as possible. Theoretically, you can get as bright as possible. But you can't get darker than dark. There's, if, you wanted to take the, if you wanted to make this room dark, what do you need to do? Can you bring dark into the room? Or you need to find a way to block out the light or turn the light switches off. You, darkness comes when there is no light. So church, when we say the world is dark... That is an admission that we are the problem. If this world is dark, whose fault is that? If this world is dark, it can only be because the light is not shining. So if in your workplace, your workplace is dark, who's supposed to be the light? If your classroom is dark, who is the light? If your neighborhood or your area, your city, if your country is dark, who is the light? Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You don't take a candle and put it under a bushel. Let your light so shine before men. Ye are the light of the world. But don't we often times in our life when we need to be rekindled? Do you remember times where you were just, you were on fire? Everything seemed to be going right. You were on the mountaintop of your Christianity. Maybe it was new. I, I see people who are new in the church. They are on the edge of their seat, hanging on every single word. And there are some who used to do that, and it's not that way anymore. Now, I'm not saying it's because you have grown disinterested with God's word, even though that, that very could possibly be. I think it's just over time, life is a series of ups and downs. You can't get around that. Life is a roller coaster ride that you do not have control over, and sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. But when you are down, you need to be rekindled. That's what revival is for. Instead of being a fire, sometimes you find yourself just like a smoking flax, that one more temptation or one more trial or one more sin could puff you out. And that's why we need revival. That's why we 
need revival. Yes, the world is dark. And yes, the world is sinful. And yes, the world is lost. All those things are true. But we have to humble ourselves and pray and confess and say, Lord, the world would not be so dark. The world would not be so sinful. The world would not be so lost if I simply was the Christian that I was supposed to be. Because there would be light. You have to say, I need a revival in my soul. Before we can call for God to revive anyone else, before we can place the blame on anyone else, revival prayer is personal. It's me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Revival prayer is personal. If Jesus himself came to this, to this service tonight and he said, I will revive only one of you, would we be pointing our fingers at other people? Say, I'll tell you, Brother Keith needs it. Or would we be standing up saying, Lord, me, me, I don't, I don't care what I need to do. I don't care what I need to give up, what I need to pay. Give it to me. That's not selfish. I think that's honest. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but revival prayer must be personal. When you pray, Lord, send revival, it needs to be, Lord, send revival. Let a fire start in me. I'm happy that, that a fire spreads. And I want revival to come, no matter how it comes. I want revival to come. But I want a part of it. I remember one time being at Wrigley Field. And, uh, you know, the, the good Chicago Stadium, not, uh, not Comiskey Park. Well, it's U.S. Cellular Field now, whatever. And uh, we were watching the Cubs play, and it was, it was boring. That was back when the Cubs were, well, the Cubs are always terrible. But anyways, we were watching, and me and my friend were there, and my brother, and my uncle. And we're like, you know what? We, we were always in the upper deck first base side. I mean, you could barely see anything. By the time the person hit a home run, it took until he ran around the bases for the sound to travel up to where you were. And you're like, oh, something happened. Um, but we wanted to start the wave. And we did. We started the wave. It almost went all the way around Wrigley Field. And we were so proud of ourselves. And I remember all the kids around us like, I wish, I wish we would have started it. I wish we would have started it. And maybe it's selfish and maybe it's childish of me. But when revival comes, because it is going to come, he is either rapturing us out or he's bringing revival. I want to have a part of it. I want to be a part of it. And it's not going to happen when... If when the Lord sends it, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take a part of that too. I think it needs to start now. Lord, send it to me. Send it to me. I need it. Do you not need it? If you don't need it, tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're doing. You're doing something right. It must be personal. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And that co coincides with the second aspect here. It must be honest. Revival prayer must be honest. In confessing that we need revival, we then need to confess why. Because if we were the Christians that we were supposed to be, we wouldn't need revival. So in confessing that we need revival, why do we need revival? And we have to confess that as well. Every sincere and humble revival prayer is a candid confession that we are dying when we should be alive. That is what revival prayer is. I am not who I am supposed to be. 
I am cold when I sh- or lukewarm when I should be hot. That is revival prayer. It is honest with the Lord. It is telling the Lord, I am under a bushel when I should be on a candlestick. It is telling the Lord, I am a village in a valley rather than a city on a hill. It is honest with the Lord. It is telling the Lord, Lord, I am hungry, not because you have stopped feeding me, but because I haven't come to you for meat in a long time. It is saying, Lord, I'm thirsty, not because you've forsaken me, but because I have forsaken the fountain of living waters and made my own cistern, broken cisterns that can hold no water, Jeremiah says. Revival prayer must be personal. To say, oh my God, it's me. It's me that needs revival. It's me that needs to be made alive again. I am the reason this world is so dark. But then tell him why. It must be honest. Be honest with God. Why are we cold and lukewarm rather than hot? Why are we away from the Lord rather than next to him? Why are we lacking in this world when he came to give us life more abundantly? Why are we hungry at any time in our Christian life when he said, I'm the bread of life? Why are we thirsty at any time in our Christian life? When he says, let him that is a thirst come. Anybody, whosoever will, come and drink of the water of life freely. Then why are we thirsty? That's like driving a car on fumes when there's a gas station on every corner. Why are we driving on fumes when there's a gas station right there? And the gas is free. Why would we do that? That's nobody's fault but our own. Whenever we are in need of revival, we have brought that need to ourselves. When we find ourselves in need of revival, we have to stop pointing fingers at everybody else and we have to take a big step back and start asking, what have I done? What have I done to get away from the Lord? He hasn't moved anywhere. What have I done to be thirsty when he's the fountain of living waters? He's never withheld himself from me. What have I withheld? What have I withheld? And when God reveals that sin to us, be honest with him about it. Lord, I need revival because I've allowed bitterness to creep into my life, and now I'm cold when I should be hot. Bitterness will do that to you. First John says, you, say, you tell everybody that you love the Lord, but you hate your brethren? He says, that's not how it works. You say, Lord, I need revival because I have the wrong priorities. That's easy. It's easy to find yourself having the wrong priorities. You start pursuing education more than the educator. You start pursuing money more than the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You start pursuing answers to questions that the answerer never wanted you to have the answers for. And we start getting distracted by all these things. And you say, I I have the wrong priorities and pursuing the things of this world have only left me hungry and thirsty. And if I just would have sought the kingdom of God first, I wouldn't be in this position. That's what revival prayer is. To say, I need revival because I haven't read my Bible or prayed in so long. And instead of being able to teach others, I have need to be taught again. I need revival because instead of seeking to be separate from the world, I've tried my best to look just like it. And now I'm miserable because I'm living on the line. And I have just enough of God to hate the world and just enough of the world not to be able to enjoy God. And I'm miserable. That is revival prayer. Or maybe, Brother Rusty, it's warm in here. Is anyone else warm in here? No? Okay, leave it be. Leave it be. It's all right. I'll get sweaty. Um, Maybe you don't say, Lord, I need revival because of all these things I've done. This is a Wednesday night crowd. I think more so it would be, Lord, I need revival because of all the things I refuse to do. 
The Bible says in Isaiah, cease to do evil. I think on a Wednesday night, for the most part, you've learned that. I think so. But then he says, learn to do well. And a lot of times we just compare our life to, well, at least I'm not doing that and not doing that and I'm not doing that. Well, good for you. There's a lot of lost people that don't party. There's a lot of lost people that have, uh, that have character to avoid certain things that you avoid. But he says, learn to do well. Maybe that's where we're failing. Probably that's where we're failing. If you have to say, Lord, I've refused to go soul winning. I refuse to give. I refuse to read my Bible. I refuse to spend time with you in prayer. I refuse to take that next step of faith. And now my Christian life is lacking and dying because of my disobedience. That is revival prayer. What is it for you? I know what it is for me. What is it for you? Why do you personally need revival? It's one thing to admit that we need it. But why? Why do we need it? Think about this. The the need for revival can only come from man's sin. But the the supply of revival can only come from God's grace. God gives grace to the humble. We must be honest. We must be honest. (laughs) And the only thing more humbling, the only thing more humbling than personal and honest revival prayer. Revival prayer is imagining if God followed you around this last week with a video camera. Everything that you thought, everything that you did. Revival prayer is sitting the Lord down and walking him through all of it. Lord, this is when Brother Luke cut me off on SPID. And all of the thoughts pop up. Lord, this is when that thing came on on TV and I should have turned it off and I didn't. And that's why I'm so cold right now. Lord, this is me sitting in church, completely avoiding that person because of something that happened 10 years ago. And I'm done. Lord, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. That is revival prayer. That is humbling. But you know what is even more humbling? Realizing that you have to do that a lot. I worked at Elgin Country Club. I was a caddy. That was my first job when I was 15 years old. And you had a caddy bib. Now, not like this, okay? But uh, you had this, this pullover thing, and it had two pouches right here, and you kept your, uh, your scorecard in one and your green map in the other and tees and all those different things. Uh, now, you had your own bib, and you were supposed to bring that every single time that you had a loop, a caddy loop. If you forgot it, you had to go to the pro shop and talk to the head pro and the caddy master and tell them why you forgot your caddy bib. Now, they had plenty. Supply was not the problem, but embarrassment was. They would embarrass you. Why don't you have your caddy bib? And there was one time a caddy, we were in the middle of a tournament, he forgot his bib three days in a row. And that third day, I remember we were down in the bag room kind of where the putting green was, and he said, I am not going to the pro shop to ask for another bib. He was offering to pay other caddies that had just come back. I mean, just drenched in sweat. Like, can I use your bib? I'll give you $20 for your bib. I just don't want to go and ask the head pro for your bib. 
just asked for the, I just asked for forgiveness yesterday for the same thing. And you have to come back with your head held low. Lord, I did it again. And I need revival. Lord, I did it again. And I need forgiveness. I did it again. I need more grace. I did it again. I need more mercy. That is a humbling thing. It's humbling enough to have to do it once. But then, it's like I said the other day, that, that one preacher who said, I resolved in the morning never to sin again, and I sinned before breakfast. That's just who we are. We always, we always have to go back, and that's often how we feel about revival. But church, that's wrong. It's wrong to feel that way. And I'll prove it to you. When we have to pray for revival so often, because we so often fall and fall and fall and fail and fail and fail, just to simply be who we're supposed to be. That's all this is. The Lord isn't asking for anything difficult. Don't lose your temper. Thou shalt not kill. I mean, okay, I've got that one. But then Jesus says, if you even hate a brother, say raka, which means just empty-headed. You're a blockhead. For, you know, and hate your brother for no reason. You're a murderer already in your heart. Some of you are on death row tonight. But a lot of things that he says are just so simple. And we fail and we fail and we fail. But revival prayer is personal. It's honest and it's, it's constant. It's constant. It has to be. Wilt thou not revive us? Again. Now let's say even that word again wasn't there. Just look at the word revive. Vive, live, re, again. Wilt thou not make us live again? Again. That's what that verse is saying. And in that verse is the total depravity of man and the hopelessness of our sin. Wilt thou, where we have to ask God, wilt thou not, can you make me live again? Again. How often we fail him. How often we're cold when we should be hot. How often we're silent when we should be loud. How often we're loud when we should be silent. How often we're heartbroken over the temporal and we're indifferent to the eternal. And it's wrong. It's wrong. It's sin and it always will be sin to fall. When you fall, it is a sin. But listen to me. It is a bigger sin to stay down. Did you get that? It's a sin to fall. But it is a bigger sin to stay down. Now, maybe we say sin is sin to the Lord. I, I think you know what I mean. But let's just say this. It is a sin to fall. It's another sin to stay down. A just man falleth seven times. Rise up again. So how dare we? No, I'm not going to him again because I've fallen for the seventh time. And one day, I'm not going to ask for a revival again. That is just as much a sin as the sin that puts you down. Get back up. It's our own sin that puts us in need of revival. It is a sin still to refuse to personally, honestly, and constantly ask your Heavenly Father for the revival that we desperately need. We may have to go to Him every day. We may have to go to Him multiple times a day, but go to Him. Go to Him. He tells you, come to me boldly, that you may find grace to help in time of need. Now let's... Hold up for a second. I am not saying that we should live in sin. I'm not saying that we just sin and sin and sin because we can go to him and ask for forgiveness or live in the deadness of your sin because he can always revive you. No, no, no. Romans 6, 1 and 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. But I love the second part of that verse. If any man sin, here's what I'm saying. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is your lawyer, and he's never lost a case. And a lot of times we look at we think that we're going to come to him, and he's going to look at us and just browbeat us. His word does that. His Holy Spirit does that. You know the conviction of sin. If you don't know the conviction of sin, you're not saved. If you don't know the conviction of sin, you are not saved. If you do not know how it feels when you do something, when you say something, when you refuse to do something, and you cannot sleep until you get it right, you are not saved. But I want you to think of the mercy of the Lord. When Peter denied him three times, after the Lord told him, you are going to do this. And Peter says, no, uh And he still does it blatantly over a long period of time. Jesus didn't forsake Peter. Jesus went and found Peter. Peter was fishing. Peter gave up. He, he, he gave up. He was on the SS, I give up, fishing. And Jesus found him. And he didn't say, Peter, sit down. Let me tell you all the ways that I'm disappointed. He says, Peter, I can look past all of that. I have one question. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. you. Yes, I do. Do you? Yes, I do. Good. I've got a Pentecost to preach. That is the Lord that you serve. But that does not come without... The Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. What do you think he was doing? I think that was some revival prayer. And it took some time. And he certainly had some faults. But here's what I'm saying. Never allow Satan to convince you that God's grace is a license to sin. People talk, uh, I think it's, I can't remember exactly where it is. Um, Maybe 1 Timothy. I I can't remember right offhand, and I apologize. But it says, people who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, do not let Satan convince you that God's grace is a, a license to sin. But also, never allow Satan to convince you that your sin is greater than God's grace. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you fall, get back up. When you need revival tomorrow, just like you need it again today, go to God again. Revival prayer is constant. And then here's my last one. Revival prayer is specific. It's personal. It's honest. It's constant. It's specific. Now, when I say that revival prayer is specific... It's to bring us to ask ourselves this question. Why are we praying for revival? And don't just answer because we need it. Yes. But why are we praying for revival? What is the result that we are looking for when we pray for revival? And I find it very interesting that the result given in this verse is not the result I think that many people have in mind when they pray for revival. The Bible says, wilt thou not revive us again? Here's the result. That thy people may rejoice in thee. That was the specific reason. I think if man would have written the Bible, I think we would have written something along like this. Wilt thou not revive us again that we may win more souls to you? Or wilt thou not revive us again that we may be more loving spouses? or that we may be stronger workers, or better parents, or show forth our Christianity. Now, those are all great desires. 
Those are beautiful and fruitful branches on a tree. But the Bible, and God shows us the root from which all those branches grow. Joy in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, A genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers or day dawn without light. Every person who has revival has joy in the Lord. Every person who needs revival has lost that joy in some way. Now, no matter what happens, we can always rejoice in our salvation because that will never be taken away. When you are saved, you will always be saved. But the joy of the Lord can be found in much more than just your salvation. There is no joy apart from salvation. But when we are saved, we not only find joy in our salvation, the Bible talks joy of our salvation. We will never, as believers, we can never lose the joy in our salvation, but we can certainly lose the joy of our salvation. Revival is what brings your joy back. Christian, do you have joy in the Lord? Not just in your salvation, but in every area of your life. Do you have joy in the Lord? Did you lose it? Did you give it away? Did sin steal it from you? Sin does that. I see Christians that are short with their family. They're quiet and witnessing. You sing with your mouth open, but your heart is closed. You can always sing with your mouth open and your heart closed. You can never sing with your heart open and your mouth closed. I see people sing a lot of times with their mouth open, but you can see that it's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of repetition for them. Just, I see people who pray and just because they know that they need to pray, but there's no fervency in it. There's no joy in it. I see people who read their Bible because they know that they need to, but nothing comes out of it. Instead of running the race with, the race with strength, you're just kind of coasting along on fumes, and you talk to them, are you saved? Yes. What? Something's wrong. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Where's your joy? We need to get our joy back because when we have joy in the Lord, we'll be the right spouse. When we have joy in the Lord, we'll be the right worker. We'll be a soul winner. Psalm 51, after David sinned with Bathsheba, what does he say? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Then my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Then my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Now David wasn't saying, Lord, if you don't revive me again, if you don't restore the joy of my salvation, then I won't teach transgressors thy ways. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, Lord, even if I try, even if I try to teach a transgressor your way, even if I try to show forth thy praise, even if I try to open my mouth to sing aloud of your righteousness, how am I supposed to do that when sin has taken away my joy? I need that joy again. I am searching for people tonight who will ask God, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And I have no doubt I have no doubt in my mind if I had but five men in this church, five men in this church who personally and honestly and constantly and specifically had revival prayer in their life, we would see revival in this church. I have no doubt if we had five men.
I have no doubt we would have it. Why, would, why are we going to pray if we don't believe that God would send it? There's a story of a man who, wanted to, who needed to go into town, and he was a farmer, and he had his little boy, and he said, son, we need to pray for rain. There's no rain been coming, and, and uh, we're going to have a real hard time with our crops. But before we go into town, let's pray. Let's pray for rain. And so they both got down on their, on their knees, and they prayed. And they go to walk out, and the boy, the boy stopped the dad. He said, dad, where are you going? He says, we have to go into town. I told you, we have work to do. He said, where's your umbrella? That's cool. And he said, what do you mean, where's my umbrella? He said, you prayed for rain. Bring your umbrella. Church, if you're going to have some revival prayer tonight, bring your umbrella. Don't you think God wants to send revival to this church? Don't you think God wants to send revival to you? When revival doesn't come, when revival is tearing, it's because Christians are tearing in prayer. Because we don't want to be personal. Or we don't want to be honest. Or we don't want to be constant. Or we don't want to be specific. Now I'm bringing this up for two reasons. First of all, first of all, we have a revival meeting coming up this next week. But forget about this. I don't want revival next week. I want revival tonight. And it can happen. It can begin tonight if we have some revival prayer. But church, our country is a mess. Our country is a mess right now. I am hearing things that are making the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I don't know if, I don't know if they're true. I, I honestly don't. There's so much conspiracy going on right now. I mean, uh, according to the, the same people who are talking right now, I mean, Epstein is still alive in Guantanamo and Elvis is going to be the next president and all that stuff. So, you know, and... Uh, you can't listen to all of it. But here's what I will bring out. Things could go very wrong very quickly in this country because of how volatile everything is right now. And you do need to have some practical things in place. I was telling my wife today, we need to have a rendezvous point. You realize if, if they can shut down the president from communicating on Twitter... They can hit that same switch and shut down your phone and you won't be able to communicate. Because if he declares martial law, let's say he declares martial law, is that going to happen? Probably not. But let's say it happens because it is an option. They're going to shut down communication. So let's say you are separated from your family. You need to find, you need to know where to meet. You need to have all these things. You need to have a way to defend yourself. And church, I'm bringing this up not to scare you, but I'm your pastor and I, I want to help you. And I don't want you to be blindsided. You should have those conversations. Husbands, you need to talk to your wife. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to meet. If we don't meet here, then we meet here. and Just talk things out. But you know what? Before we get to all that, let's brush all of that aside. What do we need in this country? We need revival. That is what we need. No matter what happens in D.C., no matter what happens over there, the answer is revival. No matter what scenario plays out, out of the hundreds that could play out, revival is the answer. And that is why I'm preaching this tonight. You know why I said the other day, where is America in, in uh, prophecy? I read something the other day that I need to study up a little more, but here, here's all I've seen. 
You know how in Revelation, Babylon is talking about a city on seven hills? What city is that? Rome. Rome is a city on seven hills. Do you know D.C. is also on seven hills? Did you know that before Washington, D.C. was named Washington, D.C., there was a portion of it that was named Rome? All I know is the more and more things go on, the more and more I see the need of revival, and the more and more I see that is very, very possible. And when, and when that happens, I want to be on fire. I want to be winning people to the Lord. Until he calls us home, I want to have that revival in my life. And it starts with revival prayer. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.